Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are welcoming the uh, amazing Kat Howard, author of An Unkindness of Magicians and A Slight of Shadows, to the podcast today on I Should Be Writing Season 19, Episode 19. So, hi there. Welcome to I Should Be Writing. This is the podcast for wannabe fiction writers and anybody else who wants a creative career. I'm your host, Mer Lafferty. I've been podcasting since 04. I've been traditionally publishing since 13. And uh, my most recent book is Station Eternity, which was out last October. It is uh, Jessica Fletcher meets Babylon 5. So, uh, yeah, that's, I, I always feel weird doing this, but I figure if I'm giving writing advice, I should say my credentials. I don't know. But I welcome Kat Howard to the show today. How are you, Kat? I'm doing really well. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm a big fan. I uh, read Roses and Rot when it came out and uh, An Unkindness of Magicians, so it's really exciting to have A Slight of Shadows out. Um, before it we... Is... Sorry? Sorry, go ahead, please. <laughs> well, I was going to say, before we get down to the interview, though, um, we do a little bit of housekeeping at the beginning, talk about what we've been up to. I did not write a lot while I was traveling, but I did get some writing done this week on my weird, um, uh, red, let's see, what, what did I call it? Red Shirts meets uh, Hallmark Christmas movies story. So that's been nice. working that, that's been going along, and I'm pretty happy with that. I'm also taking a comedy screenwriting class, which is helping me think about the ensemble cast of a comedy, whether it's screenwriting or not, and helping me put this together. So um, that's cool. And uh, Kat, are you in all PR mode right now, or are you working on any, anything draft one or two? I am. I am poking at a recalcitrant draft of my next book, um, mostly because I need a break from all PR mode. So I am trying to to work my way into that. Um, I tend to be one of those writers who is really superstitious about talking about works in progress, but Mm. um, right now it is a heap of words and someday it will be novel shaped. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, it's a big, um, it's a risk you take. But um, I, I had I had a moment once where I was on stage with Kim Stanley Robinson and we were talking about AI and I was stumbling along as best I could, not qualified <laughs> to be on that stage at all, <laughs> at all. But at the end, they asked us what they were we were working on. And Kim Stanley Robinson said, 
I'm writing, you know, this is obviously not a quote, but he's like, I'm writing a Kim Stanley Robinson book, which means it's heavy on the science and heavy on the climate uh, stuff. And it's about ethics and, and really interesting, in-depth in stuff. And I'm like, I'm writing Murder, She Wrote meets Babylon 5. And everybody in the audience looked really interested. And that was yeah, really I mean, gratifying. <laughs> Because you don't want to follow Kim Stanley Robinson when he's talking no. about his his works in progress. You just don't. No, I I would not either. I would be like, yeah, I wrote a sentence once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Neil Gaiman liked your sentence. So maybe there was something going for it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so we'll do good news real quick because I haven't done a live. I should be writing in a couple of weeks. So um, our. Team rejection count is at 103. If anybody has any good news you want to tell us in the chat, feel free. If you have good news and you're listening later, feel free to email me, mightymer at gmail.com, and I will list your good news in the next episode. Daniel has three rejections, two reports since last time. Congrats, Daniel. That's amazing. Where's the yay button? It's been so long. (laughs) There it is. Nope, the A button not working? Oh, lies. <laughs> I have to manually do this? Things work. Cat, uh, since you're not looking at the stream, there's confetti falling now. As Excellent, we I was going to say, I could, we could do like a cheer. <laughs> Yay, okay, so three for Daniel. Congratulations. You are a working writer, Daniel. Cat, what was your ex- uh, rejection experience like getting started? Oh, well, the, my favorite day, and by favorite, I mean the time that I wanted to eat, like, not only a pint of Ben and Jerry's, but all of the ice cream in the grocery store, was getting free rejections in one day once. Um, that really felt like an excessive number of them. Um, I eventually sold all three of those stories, though, so, you know, ah. I think it's, free. it's important for me. It was really important to have a list of here are the, the venues that I would like to hit, and here are here is the order for each of these stories that I think they might work, because, you know, not every story works for every market, and and so I would just, I would, I made myself just, you know, you read it over, you make sure you don't want to change anything, and you send it back out, and for me, that was how I got through the the rejection heavy end of the career because you know and, and it's not like it stopped now but it's just that was that was my personal way of dealing with it and just really saying okay this is a thing that happens in the business i want to be in this business i'm going to need to figure out how to deal with it yeah yeah we also have under pope one rejection congratulations under pope and um Gwenega has two rejections and one sale of poetry that's amazing congratulations nice. We do have an acceptance button, too. That's good. Uh, congratulations, Gwen. That's great. Um, as I'll say my good news is that we really thought something bad had gone wrong with the dog's plate. They After they do the knee surgery, they put a plate over the bone so it can heal. Um, now they thought that something went wrong with the plate. So we had to wait the weekend to get her x-rayed, and she seems whatever happened with her leg last week has pretty much resolved itself. The x-ray came out pretty okay. So um, she's doing great. She was allowed some off-leash time in the backyard for the first time in seven and a half months. And she immediately got into trouble, which is great. (laughs) I don't want to go into too much detail. 
but you know there there are little critters who have noticed that the dog is on a leash even in the backyard for the past seven and a half months they got a little complacent so um but boy she's happy right now so that's my good news doggo seems to be doing pretty good overall which is (laughs) very rare uh, Kat, your book comes out in one week, a little less than one week. Is there any other good news you'd like to share? It comes out on Tuesday. Um, I feel like that's that's pretty the fo- pretty much the focus of the good news is, hey, I did this thing, and it's actually going to be in the world for people to read on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Kimmy, my good news is getting my taxes done and not owing as much as I feared. I did have that, too, as well. That was a very shocking, shocking happiness, so... Um, hope everybody in the U.S. got through tax day mostly unscathed. Um, <laughs> but we'll get started. Kat, you have, uh, I just realized, I don't read a lot of stories like you write, and yet I can't get enough of yours. It's like, you do, you know, would you call it fairy roses and rot? Would you call that fairy tale retelling or fairy tale inspired? Or I don't want to start all the way back at the very beginning, but I really liked that book, so we're gonna. Even though I just said we're not, so no, you talk. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it's 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 a delight for me to find people who like that book. Um, I, I would I would say more folk tale, just because I have this weird academic background, and so I get overly specific about things. Ah. Tamlin is a ballad, not a fairy tale. Mm. But it's full of fairies, so maybe it's a fairy tale. <laughs> it's a tale of fairies. It's not a fairy tale. There we go. We'll we'll just be as as, as hair splitting as possible. A lot of my work deals with retellings of fairy tale folklore mythology, though. Um, just because I sort of like looking for, I like looking for the cracks or the pressure points in existing stories and seeing what happens if I push on them or what happens if I use that crack in the story to look at the story from a different perspective, focus on a different character, a different theme, something that I was unhappy with in the original resolution of the story, something I think might be interesting Um, for me because those old stories that we've told often and in very different forms all the time have existed for so long because we know them, they have this sort of resonance that's really interesting for me to play with as a writer too, because a lot of times it means that I'm dealing with an audience who already sort of knows at least part of what they can expect to have go on. And so choosing to work with or against those expectations becomes another tool of storytelling for me. And it's, it's, it's fun and interesting for me to engage with that. Can you give me any specifics about what you mean about finding the cracks and pushing on them? Um, yeah. So for, for example, one of the short stories that I've written, uh, the green knight's wife that tends to be one that people have, have read if they've read any of my short fiction, it's a short story retelling of Sir Gowan and the green knight from the perspective of the green knight's wife who, if you know the poem or you saw the movie or anything else, you know, sort of plays an important role in, in the challenge that Gowan goes through at the, end of, at, the, at the end of the story. She's instructed to sort of see what she can get out of him, to trade kisses. And by kisses, I mean something very euphemistic as the poem goes on. And uh, she's not named 
like a lot of the people in, in a lot of the women in these stories, she's not named. She's somebody's wife. She's somebody's mother. She's somebody's child kind of thing. And that's her identity. And I was just like, well, that sucks. Who would she be if this was her story? How would mm-hmm. she tell it? Um, and so that was sort of a way of saying, OK, let's let's pull this character out and and see what happens if she's the focus. How would how would she tell this story? Um you know, there's still some of the recognizable elements. There's still some beheading that happens. <laughs> well, I mean, you you, you got to keep the beheading. Whenever there's beheading, you that's not really something you cut. I mean, it's hard not to like that. I mean, you can cut sexism or racism or, or you know, a lot of the, the bad stuff that goes into stories, but beheadings. Yeah, I mean, we, de- we definitely don't need racist stories, but we do need more stories where people get their heads chopped off. Exactly. Like exactly. <laughs> Um, so moving a little bit forward, then you did mm-hmm. an unkindness of magicians in, was that 2018? 17? 17. And, um, then now you're coming out with the sequel, uh, Slide of Shadows. So tell us a little bit about that world. So the world, the unseen world, which is a duology, this is done. There is no ongoing series, um, is set in a world that is very like our own modern day New York City, um, recognizable landmarks and everything else, um, except there is a secret hidden enclave of magicians, very wealthy, very powerful magicians in New York City. Um, and Unkindness of Magicians starts out with this thing called the turning, which is sort of a magical duel to the death for power and uh, prestige in this world that happens usually about once every generation, this time it's happening a little early. Um, and so the the first book deals with that and what happens, the ramifications and sort of all the nasty little secrets that come crawling out of the woodwork in the course of the turning. Um, a Slate of Shadows picks up very, very close in time to the end of An Unkindness of Magicians about six weeks or a little less than six weeks um, in calendar time after the end of the previous book and and deals with the fallout um, because there is always fallout when there's great change. So um, I, I guess I've written two sequels and I still am not really sure how to do them. <laughs> so <laughs> I was curious on how you uh, approach the sequel, um, especially with the number of years between the two books. It, it it right now it's on the list of things I never plan to do again. Oh wow! <laughs> Wait or do another sequel? Do another sequel. Um, Unkindness of Magicians was written as a standalone. Um, I really thought that that was going to be one and done. I had planned for it to be that. It was not sold as part of a series or anything like that. And as I was writing it, I really liked the main character. I really liked writing Sydney. I kind of felt bad for the way I left her at the end of the book, but again, I thought I was out. Um, And then when I was discussing next books with my editor, um, at that point we had gotten some early reader feedback and some people were saying, you know, I'd read some more, is there a sequel? And and I brought it up and he'd say, well, I'd buy a sequel. And I thought, I like to sell books. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so helps you eat. Yeah, you know, the cats won't get jobs. and so I said, sure. And it was really, really difficult. 
um, partially because I had this finished book already. And so I couldn't, I couldn't do any of the tricks that I usually do when I'm writing, which is go back and put in the stuff in the beginning that I'm going to need for the end or, yes. you know, or change or revise or anything. It, it was there. It was set. I had done it. I had done this thing to myself. I had no one else to blame. Um, and so that was a little bit tricky and, you know, some, some weird things have happened in the past six years, um, that affected writing. Like at one point there was a draft of this book. The early plan for the sequel was going to involve a magical plague happening in New York city. Oh, and I got to a finished draft about the time that an actual plague was happening in New York City. And I thought, I can't I can't write this book. I can't write and publish this book. I don't even want to live in this world. And I'm the one writing it. And so, it was, you know, that was that was done. There is no plague in this book. There is no hint of that anymore. But that yeah, there's so there was some significant real world interference here. Um, and so it just wound up. It wound up being more complicated than I thought. And so I feel like from now I'm just going to concentrate on self-contained stories, not sprawling ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I, I'm amazed that you're not the first author I've heard of who said they were working on something regarding a plague and were immediately co could not continue with it yeah. after, you know, March, 2020 and subsequent years. Yeah. Um, and then some people, uh, you know, I, I edit short fiction along with Valerie mm -hmm. Valdez, who's in the chat. Hello, Valerie. The Kids Are Asleep Hello. is here. Uh, I believe also praising Roses and Rot. Um, and, and another University of Miami person. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've seen an increase in some some plague stories. And I'm just I'm just amazed at who wanted to lean into that and who wanted to actively step away. And I'm not, you know, judging either person. It's just how different people, I know some people, Brandon Sanderson, who took the, took the isolation and change in lifestyle and just decided to write. And other mm -hmm. people like me couldn't put a word down. And then yeah, when I, I mean, tried to put a word down, it was terrible. I, Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was, it was rough. Um, so yeah. yeah Guanega all, in yeah. chat says, I started writing a misogynist dystopia and then Trump got elected and I had to put that aside. I'll drink to that. It's just water, but I wish it was stronger. Yeah. yeah I think it's, I think, you know, from a, well, this is interesting in a, I wish I weren't living through it sort of way, mm -hmm. the, the ways people have dealt with either leaning in or leaning out of current events in the past few year, past few years in terms of what they engage with in their art is very, very interesting. And I wish we were not having that particular interesting facet of our lives, but here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know how to ask this question properly. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm only asking this because <laughs> I, I, as a writer, I, I think I know what I'm trying to say because I know how I felt about what I've created in the past couple of years. The, the, mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about this book? I mean, do you, are you, you've changed it. It was written during the pandemic. How, how do you, and I'm not saying how good is it? I'm saying how right. do you feel about the project that you have put forth? At this point, 
I feel pretty good about it. I feel like I have I have written that I needed to write. I feel like I have done justice to my characters, which was the major thing for me getting back into the world too. That was the other complication was every time I got started, I was like, no, this is this is the story that I'm telling for the for, that I think I want that I think people want to hear. This isn't the story that the story needs to be. Um, but I think I have actually gotten to the point of no, this is this is the right thing. This just does justice to my characters and my story. I am proud of the book that I have. Um, I am also glad that I did not plan for this to be an ongoing series or anything else. You know, I've, I've been joking in interviews that, oh, Sydney really needs a vacation. And I mean, she does. I have put this poor character through a lot, but I kind of need a vacation from this world and to be working on something else also. So, yeah. So you're, you're done with Sydney and the, the New York magicians. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those, as soon as I say never, I'm going to wake up three weeks from now with an idea. And so I'm not, I'm not saying never because I know, you know, it's like, don't eat the fairy food. I know how not to do that at this point. Um, But I have no immediate or long-term plans at this point to return to this world and characters. Right. I mean, you could write, you know, Sydney goes on vacation. That that might be (laughs) a nice little escapism. You know, where the worst thing that happens is they, you know, she might be allergic to pineapple and they bring her a pineapple in her drink. What does she do? Conflict, oh, you know? You know somebody's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be another beheading and it's going to involve pineapples. <laughs> I don't know. I just think sometimes it would be fun just to take your characters and just give them a nice Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Um, so you have experience writing in comics as well, Mm -hmm. and it's one of those weird things where I didn't realize you wrote a comic that I was a big fan of, like, ten years ago or so. (laughs) And, um, are you still doing comics, or have you moved away from that? Where do you stand in that genre? So, um, I, so I was part of, I was one of the writers who was part of the Sandman Universe reboot, um... And I wrote the, well, mine was a reboot. The others were, were mostly new titles. Um, and so I wrote the, about the first 18 issues um, in Books of Magic, which is the story of Tim Hunter, who is a teenage magician in England. Um, he has an owl. He doesn't have transphobia. Um, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you. So, um and that was great. I love, I mean, first of all, I, I had loved the Sandman comics. They, I think they're amazing. Um, and so being asked to write in that world was, I mean, it's funny to say dream come true in that particular yeah. thing, but it really was a dream come true. And it was an amazing experience. Um, I got to work with a terrific artist, Tom Fowler, who just made everything I thought of a million times cooler on the page. Um, and, and that was a blast. Um, and those, you know, it's, it is not currently an ongoing series. Um, but would I love to go back to comics at some point? Absolutely. I don't have anything active right now. I don't have a pitch in the back of my head for, okay, let's see if I could do this, but it's just one of those. I had so much fun working in the medium 
and I really liked the collaborative aspect of it. So it's definitely something that, you know, if, if a project came up that I thought was really great, or if I had a good idea to pitch, I'd absolutely do that. Would you, here, here's where I'm actually showing my ignorance. Would you know where, to, where to pitch? I guess you already have comic connections. Um, I've mm -hmm. just been wondering if, if all literary agents are supposed to be there's so many writers going into co so many fiction writers going into comics now nk jemison saladin ahmed um mm -hmm. sarah gailey uh just too many to to list paul cornell started in comics i think so I think um, you too, yeah. so i i've just always been wondering like looking at that that little area going ooh, i like comics and yeah mm -hmm. And I think I think some of it was, you know, I came in a little bit backwards because it was I was approached for a project rather than than pitching um, directly. And so um, but I also, you know, I think that if you have I think if you have a, if you have an agent who doesn't actually know immediately that you're fine to find, you know, a, a, someone who specifies in comics. Um, so, you know, it which I think it's more of a, you know, here I have this. Let's see. Let's see if we can find it a find it a home. Mm -hmm. Easy for me to say um, kind of thing. Um, but, but this is this is where I say I am absolutely not an expert on yeah. this particular part of the business. Please do not take this as gospel. No, no. I, I think the, <laughs> the, the the weirder the business gets, the harder it is to follow any one person's track through it. Just be open to realizing that your opportunity may come from a very weird place and you should grab it when it does. Um, so here's a question. It's funny because as as fiction writers, sometimes you write a 3,000 word short story and sometimes you write a 7,500 word short story and sometimes you realize your short story wants to be a novelette and mm -hmm. sometimes you want to write a novel but it only gets to be 60,000 and these just happen. With comics, you got to write 24 pages. Yes. And how do you, how do you balance that? How do you keep that? Is it, do you work with the artist to think, okay, I, here's 18 pages. Can you fill <laughs> another six with some mood just was, images yeah, was, or that was actually for me that was actually one of the biggest um transition points one because i am not a writer who likes to plan things i'm very much a write by your headlamp sort of you know Ooh. i know just this little bit and i i'm not an outliner you know, when I said earlier about being superstitious about talking about novels I'm working on, it is true. It's also true that the more I talk about something, the less I actually want to write it because I've already told the story to myself. And so then oh. I don't need to tell it anymore. Um, I, I think you might have just done a huge breakthrough for me. Because sometimes when I think about something cool, I'll think it's cool. And then like, as I keep thinking about it, I'll think, well, that that's tired. That's tired. <laughs> it's, it's not an exciting <laughs> idea anymore. Why should I write that? I think you're right. Oh, my gosh. I totally interrupted you. I'm sorry, but you that's just, okay. you know, kind of made my head explode a little bit. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a very strange realization for me. Comics, unfortunately for me, because it, I was working in IP comics, it, um, so it was somebody else's world. And at the beginning, the Sandman universe comics were potentially going to be crossing over with each other. Um, it was that was a, 
abandoned pretty quickly on, but that was originally how they started out. And so it was not just planning my own issues, but planning, okay, in issue three, we need to be over in this person's storyline. In issue seven, we need to be over in this other person's storyline. There was a lot of planning. And that was just, that was so hard, planning the arcs, planning the issues, and then sitting down, DC, it's a 22-page script. And Mm. so sitting down and saying, I have to make 22 pages this week, and I can't make 23, and I can't make 21, I have to make 22. And so I got really good at looking at the story as, okay, here, I I just, I divided into threes, and here's the first third, and here's this, you know, and, and just everything, and, and some days it, and some days it was, I would sit there and I'd be like, I have 19 and a half. Okay, what am I going to do? And just sort of bashing my head against it. Some of it was, you know, the fact that it is you're working with an artist. And so I could be like, hey, Tom, if I'm here, how much, you know, can we switch this up and do this or, or more? It would be like, okay, you have three panels on that page. And actually what you need is seven panels on this page. So let's, let's, you know, spread this out. And and so because he was more experienced in the medium and also because he was much better at thinking visually than I was clearly since that was his job, um, having that, um, you know, was really useful. And then other, other than that, it was just going over and, and pulling the strong issues of other people's comics and, and writers that I liked and studying scripts and just being like, very methodical about it. Okay, when do they break things up? How do they do this? How do they do that? And just, and just trying to, you know, give myself as much of a foundation there as I could. I'm, I'm very much a, when something feels weird, go study it kind of person. And so that, that helped me a lot. Interesting. Yeah, comics have a very specific. I mean, it's it's the the pacing is key, mm-hmm. but the pacing is also heavily controlled by the artist, so it is a collaborative effort. Um, yeah, absolutely. It really feels like working with a co-writer rather than being like the director or kind of thing like that. So, is there any um, without? violating your superstition is there any project that you uh someday want to do is there a a folks folk tale or fairy tale you'd like to redo or is there a i definitely feel like i'm i I love the the king arthur mythos and i've played in it a couple times obviously with green knight's wife also with i have a novella called once future um that i did but i really feel like i am not done with that particular story and i would I would really like to be able to work out a, a good way into the Fisher King part of the mm. Arthurian mythos. Um, and so that's sort of my back of the brain. You should, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what I want to do with it yet, but I know there's something there that I need to work with. So it's probably just boiling away. It'll, it'll be done in a little while. You, you just, you'll find but, out eventually. Let's just hope. We'll hope that. Yes. <laughs> So what are your promotional plans for Slide of Shadows next week? Um, I am absolutely delighted that um, one of my local indies is hosting a book launch event for me. So if you are in the Twin Cities or would like to come to the Twin Cities on Tuesday, you too can be at Next Chapter Books. Um, And I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I have virtual events at uh, both Porter Square um, with Mike Chen, and I think that's going to be a great um, in conversation. And then I have a virtual event at Gibson's, um, which was my local indie back when I lived in New Hampshire. So it's nice to be sort of going back um, to a, a good bookstore. Um, so that is, that is the schedule there. Uh, makes, oh, and I'm sorry. 
I'm doing um, New York science fiction reading too. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Um, what makes a good book event for you? Um, I really love to do um, in conversation ones where I'm where I'm there with a panel or with another author, just because I think it's fun to have somebody, you know, to talk with about books and writing and things like that. Um, or if the audience has good questions, that is that is definitely the most fun for me. So basically, basically people who are there and people who are willing to actually talk. Um, so that is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I find people who are engaged and mm -hmm. someone asking you questions yeah <clears throat> just coming up it's, with stuff to say or just reading is feels boring and it's just it's also you know as you know this is a pretty solitary sort of you know career choice that we've taken on i mean at the end of the day a lot of the time it's just it's you in the page or you in the computer screen and you know and so the the chance to actually interact with people who have read the book or who are interested in reading the book or who would like to talk to you about, you know, writing or things like that, like that, for me, that's rewarding. Cause I'm like, Oh, there are other people out there in the world. Isn't this nice? And then I put my misanthrope hat back on and go home at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. it's, it's nice for like an hour. And then I'm like, Nope, no more people, cats only. But <laughs> yep. I got my pets. I got my books. I don't need anything else. Yeah. Until I have to, until I write another book and come out of my hobbit hole and have to see you all again. Um, so you are also a freelance editor. Yes. Yeah, I work um, with writers who have completed novel length or novella length manuscripts um, in a variety of genres and who are looking to sort of mostly developmental editing who are looking to make things stronger, figure out to get, to get feedback that, that is perhaps more professional than um, asking someone in their family or that sort of thing. Or if they've done a couple rounds with a writing group and still feel like there's something missing. But again, it's, it's the same eyes thing. It's sort of like you've read your manuscript so many times, your writing group has read your manuscript so many times, you know, you're, you're not sure what the thing is, but you think there might be a thing that you could still work on kind of, that's where I come in. Well, master world builder Valerie Valdez says, Kat gave me feedback on a story and it was excellent. Highly recommended. So oh, you've got a so uh, Clark nice. Award nominee advocating for uh, Kat's uh, editorial services. So uh, wh what's your website? Um, I, you can find both information about my editing and about my books at cathowardbooks.com. Excellent. Valerie's angry with me now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, so if you have any questions in chat for Cat Howard, thank you, Valerie, uh, for the Cat Howard books. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, let us know. Is there anything you wanted to talk about regarding your book or your career that we didn't touch on? No, I feel like um, I feel like we, we've hit the we've hit the main points. Okay, well, great. Um, so you're going to be in the Twin Cities next, next. Is it Tuesday? Is it the launch yes. day? Excellent. Yep. Uh, yay, local bookstores! Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and next chapter, next chapter is also the place where if people who are not going to be in the Twin Cities for some reason would like a signed copy you can pre-order from them and I will sign and personalize there as requested and they will ship anywhere in the U S so. 
Excellent. Um, and we can find you at cathowardbooks.com. Oh, right. I was going to ask you about social media. I feel like this yeah. is something I need to be asking authors more because I feel like we're all kind of adrift right now. I believe today is the day where uh, the blue check marks that you haven't paid for are going away. And um, they seem to be disappearing right before I got on the show. So, yes, that, that does seem to actually be happening this time. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that I still had mine, but several friends had no longer had theirs. So I think it's just disappearing in waves, I guess. But um, where do you usually hang out and what how have you dealt with the challenges that we're all finding um, with the various upheavals and the sudden new little islands to go hang out on? Um, right now, I am still I am still on Twitter as Cat with Sword, and that is sort of my main social media still right now. Um, I, I've been posting a few more cat pictures over on Instagram. Um, cats is in my cats, not cats is in me. <laughs> um, on Instagram, but same handle, Cat with Sword. Um, I did. I started. I thought I like to talk about books and writing, and I have an academic background, and so maybe I'll do a little bit more academic book talk over at a Substack called um, Epigraph to Epilogue, and you know now Twitter hides Substack links, so that's definitely been a very useful way of helping advertise myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I like writing the essays, so that's good. But um, yeah, it's. I have not jumped to a new social media site yet because there have just been so many popping up and it seems like one will pop up and work really well for one week and then something weird will happen and so then so everyone goes someplace else and I, I am just waiting either for Twitter to actually explode and make and force the choice or for there to be some clear yeah okay this is where most of everyone is going because what I'm really trying to avoid is having to set up three million accounts everywhere but it may come to that because that's the realities of freelance life at this point too is you have to find a way to get keep in touch with people and give them a way to find you so yeah yeah I, I know a lot more um authors are leaning on Substack and newsletters um uh tell us your Substack again I'll put it in the show notes for those listening it's, later but it's called epigraph to epilogue I'm writing it down. And so, and there's, there is a free, there's both a free and paid tier and, and, and basically you get twice as many essays if you're on the paid subscription. But other than that, you know, you're, it's still the same kind of content and it's mostly like right now I'm doing a series on, on different poems and poets for national poetry month. And it comes out like once a week and, um, yeah, it's it's not. I, I'm not. I'm not one of those people who has like a super active one where there's like here's a thread for everybody and here's this discussion and here's these links because those people are more like professional journalist people and I'm just like I want to talk about poems with people every so often. <laughs> so, all right, I am. Uh... Oh, there's a link in the uh, chat for uh, your Substack. Thank you, Valerie. Thank Valerie's you. mad at me for her new introduction, and then she like shows up and posts all the links for me and stuff. Thank you, Valerie. Um, 
So, yeah, I am done with my questions. Kat, you are a delight to talk to. I hope I haven't Thank embarrassed myself because I really, really enjoyed your books. And um, I'm so glad to be able to talk about them um, with you. So if you would like to uh, email me qu writing questions, uh, mightymer at gmail.com is where you can do that. My blog show notes and where you can find links to my uh Substack and all the other weird social media places I try to hang out on. Um, you can find that at merverse.com. And if you want to hang out with people and talk writing live on Twitch, that's Tuesday, Thursday, twitch.tv slash mightymer, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, my new book, Station Eternity, is out, and you can pre order Chaos Terminal coming out this November. And I think that's it. Kat Howard, you've been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I Should Be Writing is available to you under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives license. Theme music by John Anilio. Art by Numbers Ninja. Production by Summer Brooks. And hosting by Libsyn. Find all of this information and more at merverse.com. And remember, we can't do this without you. Thanks for your support. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.